Welcome to the Millionaire Mindcast, where we broadcast weekly interviews with millionaire minds from across the globe to empower you on your journey of unlocking a rich and fulfilling life. It's time to unleash your millionaire within. Now, here's your host, Maddie A. What's going on, guys? Welcome into today's show. I got a great episode for you guys with my brother, James Nielsen Watt. He's got a really cool entrepreneurial journey and uh, anyone who's got a cool New Zealand accent and is a complete badass uh, just makes for a really fun and enticing conversation. And he's somebody that has such a really cool entrepreneurial journey. Uh, he's a young husband and father, but had a lot of success uh, in his chiropractic business right out of the gate and has really honestly shown to master how to scale businesses. And in his particular space of, you know, health practices, um, which is what his kind of core focus is, helping other, you know, health professionals scale their businesses and their practices. Um, he's also got a lot of cool outlooks on wealth building. Uh, and we share a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, parenting, uh, being a better husband or father, and ultimately, you know, investing long term and, you know, what that mindset looks like and how you can apply some of those things. But also, he really breaks down in this episode some cool stuff around, you know, he went to seven figures in his business in eight months and obviously scaled from there. And he went the traditional path, grinding out in college. He grew up really poor. Most of the people in his high school dropped out before they even graduated. And he really talks about this outlook and mindset around patience and persistence and this process to unlocking real wealth. And I love the way he broke it down and how that unlocks choices for you and what that creates for you along the way. And as you guys know, I'm a big believer in the crock pot over the microwave mindset when it comes to all the greatest things in life. And anytime James and I get on, you know, a call or have the ability to connect and, you know, break things down, um, it just leads to some really thought provoking things. And I left with some amazing notes myself. Um, he talked about how, you know, this entrepreneurial anxiety and anxiety in general can be overcome and some of the psychological tools and frameworks that you can use to continue to push through any ceiling or boundary in your life. We talked about investing. We talked about, you know, how to buy your time back and how critical that is for so many people, especially in this busy life we all find ourselves in. We talked about financial rhythms. We talked about parenting, being a husband, you know, ultimately how you can physically and mentally optimize and unlock new levels of your life. And so if you are someone that is looking to take your business, your bank account, right, your life to that next level, I think you're really going to enjoy uh, just the overall, you know, outlook that James shares. And the dude is just a great storyteller, great analogy and metaphor creator, and uh, makes for a really cool conversation today. So with that being said, I don't want to waste any more time. Without further ado, let's jump into today's episode with James Nielsen Watt right after this quick message from today's show sponsors. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's show sponsor. Are you struggling to close deals? Cold outreach can be a slow and brutal process. And in many scenarios, it's just wasting the time of both the buyer and the seller, especially when business owners who are trying to find qualified buyers are using inaccurate and outdated data. But it doesn't have to be this way. With LinkedIn Sales Navigator, your organization can overcome these challenges by leveraging this amazing technology and platform that translates comprehensive, high-quality buyer data into real-time insights and sales. These deeper insights empower sales reps and teams to adopt the habits of top performers, which leads to much better outcomes like building a bigger pipeline with real customers leading to higher win rates and conversions, and of course, larger deals and paydays all around. We call this deep sales and LinkedIn has built the first deep sales platform with the next generation of LinkedIn sales navigator. Right now, our Millionaire Mindcast family has an amazing opportunity to try LinkedIn sales navigator and get a 60 day free trial at linkedin.com forward slash mindcast. That's linkedin.com forward slash mindcast for a 60 day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com forward slash mindcast and get started. I'm excited to welcome into the show, my man, James. What's up, brother? 
Hey, dude, super excited to be back. We had a good chat on my show, and uh, this is nice. Yeah, it's all, the other way and now be the guest. It, it's always good to you know get some thought provoking conversation. Every time you and I you know get a chance to connect, it it seems to go much deeper than uh, either of us initially intended, and and that's always a great thing, right? There's always some gems that come out of that. Um, and I always feel like, dude, you know, my conversations with people with really cool accents are just that much more intellectually sounding and and that much more thoughtful. Um, do you ever get people that say that to you about your accent? Well, turns out apparently I'm a strong right? one. Yeah, like I don't know. I don't think I have an accent, right? I think you guys do. But um, <laughs> apparently, apparently I have a strong one. And apparently, I, I uh, when I was you know younger, uh, was dating a girl from the states. I think she was from Boston. And um, she was infatuated with my accent. And I'm like, I don't understand. And she's like, oh, man, it's the best. I'm like, and then she started, I don't know if you know the show. Um, uh, oh, man, I can't think. I'm going to tell you after. It's a Kiwi show, New Zealand show. And uh, it'll come to me later. And there's these two dudes and they got New Zealand accents. And she was obsessed with it at the time. And apparently everyone in America loved it, but it never took off in New Zealand. It must be our accents. I don't know. Dude, oh, I will say the accent makes you sound that much more badass and after the conversation I know we're going to have today, my guests will feel the same or our, our listeners will feel the same. But for those that don't know a little bit about James and you know your story and how uh, you and I were able to connect and you're on the show here today, um, bring us back a little bit. Where, where'd, all, where'd your journey start? Um, so uh, I'm a chiropractor by trade. Um, I graduated in like 2013 or something like that. And I had progressed through uh, college and uh, was starting a business and hustling my face off because, you know, you have dreams and you think you can open your doors and be busy and like it never quite works out like that. Uh, but I was driven um, and we made it work. Uh, we did quite well. Um, had a couple practices, scaled up, started experiencing that problem of like, I'm busy and I'm making money, but I can't live my life. Uh, we went we on a trip to, to Italy. And we got engaged, so it was a good trip. But like, it was I was stressed out that entire time about the business and not working was costing me more money than than uh, the trip. And so I had to make a, a pivot myself. And so then I I went a few more years focusing more on how I can be more of an operator than in it. And throughout that, I'm learning a lot about like what it takes to be successful and being a proper business person, right? Like not just hustling my face off all the time because I think that gets you so far. But the serious business owners, there's this hustle. You've got to have speed, but it's to be successful. There's got to be some structure to it. There's got to be planning. It's not just, you know, how fast can I run? And so then fast forward a bit, I, I had another realization because I had a, a kid on the way that I don't want to be trading time. Uh, and I needed to, to create more leverage business and, and we'd done well. So I started teaching people stuff and marketing and things like that for, for health professionals. And it's evolved and now we have an end-to-end program. I'm the founder of practiceowner.com and we help practice owners to be more successful in business by teaching them the principles of, of business and the strategies, but also the mindsets that are needed to be a leader in that space. And it's allowed me to step out of practice and uh, kind of travel more and spend more time at home and, and evolve as a father. I've got two kids now. Um, but so real quick, oh, by the way, Flight of the Concords, that's the show. Holy crap. Flight oh, of the that's Concords. a good one. I don't know if you've seen it. You should check it out. Oh, yeah. Anyway, so, um, uh, so I, what I realized like during this whole process, because I struggled with severe anxiety from as young as I can remember, and it always limited me and what I was achieving. I didn't want to you know, speak in public. I didn't want to speak up. I didn't you know, resist. I just conformed with authority and, uh, you know, got bullied a little bit and stuff like that. And I got to a point where I was like, I need to make changes. And, and it kind of all happened at the same time. But I look where I am now and I realized the things that I needed to go through to and overcome to get to where I am um, has made a huge difference in, in who I am now compared to who I was and therefore what I'm achieving. Like it's this weird kind of full circle. Uh, and so I'm in a really good space at the moment. I'm um, enjoying life. Got young kids that are two boys that are full on. Um, I just launched a new software to help practice owners a marketing automation platform. I've got uh, the company. I've got uh, my wife and business partner fully on board now, and we're going to the moon. And uh, it's a it's been an interesting journey, a lot of fun. That's awesome, man. I mean, I know, uh, and you you had a pretty quick rise 
in your business to some financial success. And you know, I think that's like you said, right? I remember the first time um, I got my real estate license, I was 21. And I was like, oh, I got this license. You know, I was like, all right, fire up the private jets. Like, I'm gonna be rolling in dough. Like, I'm gonna kill it. Right. And the first like six, eight months, it was like, why aren't people calling me? Like, what's going on here? Right. How do I really build this machine that is something that generates money? And that's all part of the business journey. I think for every entrepreneur is those, you know, painful points and learning curves and, how were you able to crunch that learning curve and and get to milestones of financial success of team and leverage success and really give yourself uh, a model to follow that obviously i know you you know you're a model guy right you teach other people other business owners and whether it's you know healthcare professionals or really let's just talk about a model in general of running a business properly so you can enjoy the business vehicle for what you want in the first place which is obviously not having to be a slave in that business forever what was your approach and how you attacked that um, I just, in my case, like the second time round, right. The, the newer one that I started three or four years ago, uh, practice owner.com. Uh, I just done the reps, man. Like I'm going to, I'm going to be blunt. I had hustled and, and grazed my knees and, you know, uh, you know, busted my lip and stuff like that metaphorically on the, on the first go round, which is 20 late 2013, early 2014, right the way through until 2018, 19, when I started this thing. And so second time around, the reason that it was quick, like we got to million dollar run rate in like eight months, something like that, six, seven months, is because I knew and I had massive conviction about the level of value that I could provide. I could sell because I had sold thousands of people before, uh, albeit lower price points, healthcare rather than higher ticket, you know, coaching and, and stuff. But I'd done the sales thing. Um, I had a team in my practice. So I knew dynamics of people and, and hiring and things like that. Now, as I say this, like I look back and I'm like, I knew nothing. But from where I am now, right? Like perspective is everything. But at the time, I knew far more than the average person starting something similar because I'd already done it in the other business. And this is exponential. Like the more you go up and you'll, you'll attest to this, right? Like the more you keep going, the more you go up, there's levels to the game. And I'm nowhere near the top of these levels, right? But like each step is exponentially further. To go this little bit forward requires you to go vertical a lot more because of the, the curve, right? So the, the progress is, is, is vastly different. But I had done the reps, man. And but what got me to that point where now I've done the reps and you know the model uh, answering the, the question specifically, it's like I needed to be very clear that I knew who I was working with, the problems they had, and the outcomes they wanted to achieve. I needed to know the problem solution, right? Like where are they and where they want to be, so I can bridge the gap. Because if my product's not good and I'm not talking to a hungry market. Then I'm going to have to be able to have to sell them really hard. This concept uh, got kind of articulated well by Alex Formosa. He talked in his in his book offer. It was a hundred million dollar offer or whatever. I don't know if you've seen his book. Um, book. He talks about you've got uh, your market and then your offer and then your your persuasion skills. Most people are talking to the wrong people. They're not hungry enough. They're not hurting enough with a shitty offer, and they're trying to just be really good at sales and. Uh, convincing people. So I, having done this enough, knew that I needed to make sure that I was talking to people who had a problem and were willing to invest to solve the problem and that I was clear about their problem so that I could position my offer as something that was just obvious that they should do so that I needed less persuasion skills. So when I piled that on top, it just meant that it was much easier for me to do it. And I also knew my numbers too, man. Like a lot of people don't know their numbers. They don't understand the cost to acquire a client. Yep. And is that substantially less than the revenue generated and the cash generated? So you can get, put your dollar in, get your dollar back as quickly as possible and put it back into the machine to get another dollar. And then the time period to collect the rest of the revenue. And if, if your numbers don't make sense, the whole, the whole thing doesn't make sense. So it was really just a, a matter of understanding what I'm doing and then the numbers and how the numbers have to work for it to make sense so that I could get away from the bullshit of, 
of being scared to spend money on advertising or worrying about things that that I didn't think I had control over. Like a lot of people are worried about investing into something. I bought so many programs and learned so much stuff because I knew that I just had to get one client to pay for that program. So did I think over the three months of the program and the, and the things I was going to learn would I get one client? And then I broke even and I learned a bunch of stuff. And so I can go and get two, three, four. So it was a lot of just being kind of pragmatic about that. But that happened because I bought the wrong stuff before. And I, you know, like I said, I busted my lip and grazed my knee before that, before I could just do it on my, my own, so to speak. Yeah. How important do you feel like business investing in general, understanding numbers is? You know, what do you say to those people that are the extroverts and they just love selling, but they don't understand right the mechanics of the financials? How important is that to business success, to investing and wealth building success, and your opinion based on you know the financial journey that you've been on? For me, it depends on what kind of outcomes you want to get. If your outcome is just to do a lot of cool stuff and talk to people and post on Instagram about how you're successful. Um, go nuts. If if you if you actually want to have a business that makes money and is saleable and works and can grow and, and you don't want to be stuck on the treadmill of just keeping on, keeping on, then you have to know your numbers because it's knowing your numbers that allows you to set the right speed on the on the treadmill, hop off the treadmill, right? Get someone else to do it for you. Like unless you know your numbers, because your numbers are at the core of the entire operation. Like, what is the point of the business? It's to make money for you to cash flow you right ultimately because if i have a million dollars and i get nothing or i have ten thousand dollar business and i get a thousand bucks which is worth more well maybe not worth more wrong wrong question one of them is making me a thousand bucks and the other one's making me nothing and i'm working my face off so my opinion i get this could be wrong right for other people but like for my opinion it's to make cash flow so i can take that and i can go and put it into experiences in my life learning in my life and passive wealth creation things like investments. So it multiplies. And now I'm not spending time to make more money. I'm allowing my money to make money, as Grant Cardone talks about. So yeah, you've got to know, you've got to know your numbers for it to make sense because so many people get stuck and they think it's working and it's not. They're actually not profitable or they're working really hard to make $1,000. They, they're selling this 10K program. They think it's amazing. Look how much I charge. Look at my revenue. But they take home nothing. You know. And if we get down to it, unless you just enjoy doing that, which is go nuts, sometimes most of us, the way we run our businesses, we'd be better off just getting a job because we'd have way less risk, way Literally. less stress, and we'd have holidays, paid sick leave, paid holidays. You know, it'd, yeah. be, it'd be better depending on your outcome, right? Yeah, I think that that's you bring up a good point though, right? I remember my first year in real estate. I think I, you know, I was probably working 80 hours, who knows, probably more than that a week, you know, just trying to do whatever I could. One, I loved it. Two, it's part of the, you know, the journey of earning your stripes. But that was my first learning lesson in understanding what my time was worth. And I think, you know, when I had calculated out how many hours I'd worked that year, you know, on average per week, you know, times how many weeks I, you know, worked that year, how many hours I'd actually worked and what my take home was. I think my hourly rate was like it was like 1260 something, you know, uh, an hour. And I remember um I was joking around and I, we were I think it was at like my grandma's birthday or something. My grandma, I remember her looking over to me and going, "Damn, Matthew, you could have worked at Starbucks and made more money." And I was like, "Oh shit." Like my time is worth to me way more than $12 an hour. So how do I focus on the activities that have a much greater ROI on my time? I either need to spend, make more money, spending less time making that money, right? And create more efficiencies in that business in order for me to go out and really unlock the freedom and the level of wealth that I want to generate from what it is that I'm doing. So I love that you bring that up because I always tell people, I think there's always a perfect business model for what your goals are. And understanding you know, what that is 
at least allows you to create a plan and engineer and execute on that plan to go out and get those kind of results. What is your approach in terms of how you allocate your time? Because I know that you're very purposeful about that in terms of obviously in the startup phase, it's grind, hustle, skin your knee, all that kind of stuff. But then you start to hit a, a phase of my bills and my basics are taken care of. Now, how do I generate and increase my income and grow my wealth? Um, and then obviously, right, that transitions into a different stage, which is more preservation and giving more and things like that, right? So based on where you're at, how have you now started to discern being an entrepreneur, a business owner, an investor? Who gets your time being that you're a purposeful father, purposeful husband, purposeful business owner? What does that look like? Well, I was going to mention this. Like The caveat to that is your time isn't worth anything. Because you ain't doing anything. So invest it all because you don't have any money and you're not fancy. Like, unless you are fancy because you've got a whole team and you do millions of dollars, like your time isn't worth anything. So go and spend it all because you you are currently the cheapest labor that has the highest skill. Because you can't get anybody else like you who would work for that amount of money. So do it because you're heavily underpaid, which is if you were from an employee perspective, you would want 50 of you working for $12 an hour and really they should be paid 100, right? So for me, it was like, I was getting up at 3 a.m., you know, dude, with a new baby. I would get up at 3 a.m. I would then do sales calls because that's American time zone for me. And then I would uh, have breakfast, go to clinic at like 8 in the morning, work until like 11 or 12, come back, have lunch, see my family, go back to clinic from like 3 to like 7 or 8 come home, have dinner, see the family, do a bit of work, go to sleep, get up again. And I was doing that at 1.7 days a week. And I did that because I was the cheapest labor, the most underpaid labor. And it was an investment in the future. So anybody looking at that goes, man, you'd value your time. Like you're worth more than that. It's like, well, you know, maybe theoretically, but like literally no, because who else is going to build the business? And so it was only through that investment, it then got to a point where it made sense. My time became more valuable. But I also had to look at what am I trying to achieve? So if I'm trying to build a business that's, you know, I can exit for 100 million, I'm going to have to do that for a long time and understand that I'm not going to get paid for 10, 15, 20 years. Or I can work at Starbucks for 15 bucks an hour and end up at the end of 15, 20 years with a couple hundred grand, right? If I did nothing else, maybe if I was saving and probably not realistically, like I was just living paycheck to paycheck. So I look at that and I'm like, and this is what I had with my friends at, at high school, right? I went to a high school where 80% of kids dropped out and went and got jobs or left and went somewhere else. And so they were making money, but they were making $15 an hour, $19 an hour, and they could go and buy drinks and had a, had a car. And it seemed like, well, man, you're doing well, right? Because we had no perspective and we were all poor. And then when you, but then I went and went and spent a hundred something thousand dollars on becoming a chiropractor, five years of my life, um, basically almost equivalent to medical school. My friend's like, why are you doing this, man? Like I'm going out on Friday nights. And I'm like, yeah, but I'm investing in something. I graduate, I'm 23 years old. Some of them got a house now, right? I'm just starting. End of my thirties, some of them got kids. They got a house, maybe they got an investment property somewhere small. They're doing all right, but the curve has started to change. What took off quickly for them has been slow for me. And now I'm a millionaire. And they probably won't be a millionaire for at least another 30, 40 years. And with inflation, it probably won't mean that much. Because I invested the, the, the time, which was the only asset that I had, because I was the cheapest labor with the highest skill to produce the outcome. Now, to your specific question, I am wanting to look at when can I buy my time back because I'm the cheapest labor and put it into the things where there's the most leverage. So if I'm the, if I'm the most qualified employee right now, because again, you get to a certain level where you shouldn't be the best at everything, right? But at the start, we need, we're typically the best at everything. And that's a catch-22 because we think we're the best and then we just like don't delegate, right? So if you can get over the ego and delegate by having proper processes and trainings and systems and things, you can 
hire less skilled people that are paid less to do more. Because, uh, for example, in, in, a, in a practice, right, like most health professionals want to hire a quote unquote practice manager and they'll spend a bunch of money on a practice manager. Now, the best people are not looking for jobs typically, they already have a job. And so if you're hiring somebody, they're probably not the best unless they've moved or just quit for some other reason, right? They're, like there's a reason why they're looking for a job. You're not going to hire the CEO of Apple to come work in your business. He's, he's got a job and he's always going to have a job. So he's never going to be looking for a job. You know what I'm saying? And so you're hiring someone who probably doesn't have the skills that you, you would like them to have. And you're trying to solve your problems by throwing them at people. And you can never throw people at problems. You got to throw processes, right? So you got to fix the problem and then have someone to operate the machinery that fixes the problem. Do you get what I'm saying? Oh, so yeah. I'm looking at it and I'm like, all right, I'm answering the phone. I'll give the context to my, my practice, right? I'm answering the phone. I'm the best at it. But I've also got to work on the marketing and I've got to see the clients. I've got to do other stuff. If I see clients for an hour versus answering the phone for an hour, I'm going to make more money, more cash seeing clients. But I'm going to book more patients in. So I'll have long-term revenue if I do the phone. So I'm stuck. What do I do? What if I made a process and I documented what I do, how I do it? I made a process. I made a system. And then I hired somebody and I taught them to do even half to 80% as well as me. I might generate less revenue from those calls because I'm not doing them, but I can make more cash and then I can hire somebody else to see clients with me. And now I've got this ability to create some scale because the person you hire at this stage may never be as good as you. And they're not supposed to, because why would they? They're not as invested. And why should they be? That's not their business and they want to get paid and have a life. They're not like us, right? So there's this trade-off, but if you have good processes and good training, they can do well and do really well. And so I just start to look for opportunities where now I can put somebody in to do it and the effect is not too great. I'm not outsourcing the primary revenue generating activities. And I start to buy more of my time back because I'm the cheap labor that's skilled and I start doing more of the other things. And then the next layer, which I'm experiencing at the moment is hiring talent that's better than you um, and kind of giving them the reins, but you pay more for them. And then you still have to have processes and training because again, the best people aren't looking for jobs. I kind of went on a big monologue there, but does that make sense? It makes total sense. I think, you know, at the end of the day, you, you, you bring up a couple great points, right? That are important for anybody that's on this journey of, you know, scaling a business. And, you know, I always think of the Robert Kiyosaki quadrants, right? Employee, self-employed, you know, business owner, and then investor. And, you know, ultimately you want to be on that right side of the quadrant because that's where you're going to unlock that real freedom, right? Most people think that just because they're an entrepreneur, that they're, you know, amazing. And ultimately, they're just a slave to their own business. And it never really truly functions and forms into a business. And you talked about people, one part. Obviously, you know, your product, your service, whatever it is, that's is what it is. But the two that I always see people really struggle and challenge with and have you know been many learning curves for us over the course of growing the hotel company and the different businesses that I've been a part of as well is the process and the people part. Most people struggle with how to discern when it's time to work in the business and work on the business. Talk about how you think and approach creating processes and systems and operating procedures that you can then plug people into, right? Onboard, train, and hold them accountable to those processes to produce the results that you want in the company. What is your system and framework for creating systems and infrastructure? Um, I don't want to be the star player and I shouldn't be the star player, right? Like I should be the assist. I should come in and spot an opportunity and, you know, go for the LU, right? Like I'm not, if I'm, if I'm the one doing it, then there's a problem. Right. If all the knowledge is in here and then I die, it's gone. So, or if I get sick or if I, you know, get stressed or I'm not available. Right. So I've got to get stuff out of my head so that everything that I'm doing that isn't like the go between managing type stuff necessarily, but like, you know, how do I do sales calls? How do I do team meetings? How do I, you know, handle uh, tough clients who are objecting to something? Right. How do I, how do I handle that situation where it's things where, it's being repeated on a regular basis. I'm looking to create a 
a process uh, behind it uh, so that people can follow the process. So as much as I can, uh, eliminating the need for people, that's important. Like, for example, uh, I'll give you a silly example. Having a voicemail machine means that you don't have to have somebody sitting by the phone 24-7 waiting to answer it, right? So if I've got an automated thing, if somebody can go and check in on in the hotel online or whatever, or like make payments or things where they don't need a person because you've made some automation, that's important because now you have some more leverage to your process, right? It needs your direct eyeball attention less. So I start with automating. Then we begin to systemize what we're doing and create processes. So it's somebody who can just follow step by step and they will be able to execute the steps and get near similar, if not the same result, right? It's not it's now not reliant on their skills, but instead of their ability to follow the process. And then once I've automated as much as I can and created processes around that thing, I then look to delegate that thing. And so now I have a person who operates the process and, and executes it and gets an outcome. And then my job becomes to manage the people who are executing the processes. And then I'm looking at how can I have someone else manage? So then I automate the managing as much as possible, create processes around how to manage, and then I delegate how to manage. And so I'm just stepping back like that so that anybody can jump into that role and know what to do, how to do it, why we do it, uh, and has an ability to, to, to troubleshoot, et cetera, and solve the problems without having to involve me other than just checking in. Um, because otherwise we have people and, and we think we're you know, delegating, but really we're just throwing people at problems and then they all come to us. And then we have to, so it's, we're still solving it. It's just with a person in the middle. Are you interested in boosting your income by an extra $50,000 this year? If so, you're going to love what I've got in store for you. I am beyond excited to officially announce an incredible opportunity to join me in my exclusive mastermind, which will include myself and 25 other hand-selected investors who are actively pursuing commercial real estate in 2024 and want to be held accountable to making sure they buy their first or their next commercial real estate investment property that will net them a minimum of $50,000 a year. This mastermind group will not only teach you how to do that, how to find, how to analyze, how to structure and buy these types of commercial real estate investment properties, but you'll also have an opportunity to be a part of an intimate group of high achievers that are going to take your network and your resources to a whole nother level. But here's the catch. Like I mentioned before, this is exclusive. We're only selecting 25 ambitious individuals for our founding members group who are serious and ready to take that next step in their commercial real estate investing journey. So if you are ready to increase your passive income by at least $50,000 in the next year with commercial real estate investing, then this is your moment. These spaces are gonna fill up fast and trust me, this is the one and only time to be a founding member, which comes with some pretty special benefits. So head over to myfirst50k.com and submit your application now. Again, that's myfirst50k.com. You can head over there, check out the program, see everything that it entails, submit your application to join, and I can't wait to connect with you soon. Yep. You talked about anxiety earlier, and I think that's, you know, whether it's entrepreneurial anxiety and building your business, it's financial anxiety and paying your bills or feeling like you've got enough, you know, anxiety in your health. How do you tackle and overcome? What's your outlook on, you know, alleviating anxiety? Because I think anybody can relate to that in either small or, you know, big contexts. What's been your approach to, you know, tackling anxiety and, you know, still kind of working through it? Um, the, the first thing is I think that most of us don't work on ourselves enough because if we think if we achieve things and solve those problems that my life will just get better. The reality is that, that the bigger you get, the more money you make, the more problems you have, not the less. So now you got to worry about all the tax you're paying and now you got to worry about, you know, all the problems the employees bring you and the, you know, people, the more people who know you, the more become haters and get shitty and like it's it's like whole thing right so it's not more equals less 
It's more equals more. So working on yourself, I think is the key. And, and for me, that was Tony Robbins. That was some body work stuff, some emotional work stuff, taking a self-awareness and going, hey, look, these things aren't serving me, right? I've got stories about my childhood. I've got stories about my past. I've got stories about the present and the future. And they all could be true, but none of them serve me. Tony Robbins talks about that, right? Like there's stories that are, that are true, that doesn't help you. And there's stories that are false, um, that are harming you, right? And it's like, he's got a third one, but it's like, you know, what are you telling yourself about these things? That's the first thing, really working on yourself. But more of like a practical thing was realizing that most of the time, for example, uh, if I'm not feeling motivated, um, I'm trying to hustle myself to get motivated, which then makes me anxious because I'm not achieving what I want to achieve. And then when I'm anxious, I then do less stuff and, it, and it's, a, it's a downward spiral. So two things for me. One is uh, motivation. You, you're not, there isn't a lack of motivation. There's a lack of clarity. When you know what you need to do um, and why you need to do it, motivation doesn't come into the play. Like you have kids, right? Um, if they're in a burning building and they're going to die and there's a barbed wire fence and there's alligators and a burning building, right? You're not going to go, oh, sorry, kids, like I'm not motivated, <laughs> right? You're going to fucking kick those alligators in the face, climb that razor wire, tear your skin off and climb the building, right? There was a woman I, I read about it in the, in the news. She like had six kids and she like almost burned herself to death and she saved all the kids, right? All the skin melted off. It's like, because she was clear on what she needed to do. And so it was like, if I don't save my kids, my life is over. If I do save my kids, there's immense pleasure in that. And I know exactly what I need to do. Mm. So she just took action, right? She didn't question and go, oh, is this the right decision? I don't know. You know, how much do I really want my kids? Like, it was like, boom, to action. Because there was clear pain consequences and pleasure consequences. And she, motivation wasn't even part of the equation. Just went and did it, right? And so for me, it's like, I, I once a week, I'm like, what do I want? What do I want my, in my life? Like, it's a big question. It's like, what do I want in my life, right? And on days I don't feel good, I, I start with, what do I want in my life? Because often we lose, I know this for me, it was like we lose perspective on what we want for ourselves, which then means we don't know what we need to be doing to get it or realize that we have it. And so we were on Instagram and we see somebody with Lamborghinis and we're like, man, I want a Lamborghini. I'm a loser because I don't have a Lamborghini. And we forget that actually when we distill it down, we wanted to have time freedom. We wanted to have trips with our family. We wanted to be making a hundred grand a year. And now I'm stressing out that I don't have a Lamborghini. But when I started, I wanted a hundred grand a year and I have that. What the fuck am I focusing on Lamborghinis for, right? I'm just making myself stressed and demotivated. So that was big for me. It's just being very clear on what do I want and, and what, so like, a, like a, a gun, right? You've got the side at the end, what do I want? And then you've got the side at the start. Without two of them, you can't line it up, you can't hit the target. So what do I want? And then where am I? Self-awareness, right? Like I think I'm amazing at sales. I suck. Look at my numbers, they're shit, right? Um, so I need to get better at selling. And so now you know what problems are in the path for you to overcome to get there. That's the first thing. And then um, the second thing with anxiety is it generally comes from uh, focusing on the things you can't control. Like you're not anxious about your feet hurting when you go for a walk because you're just going to put on shoes, right? You're not anxious about, am I going to die of dehydration today? Because you're just going to go drink some water out of your tap. So what are you anxious about? All the shit that you, A, are not clear on and, and B, is usually out of your control. So something I saw on TikTok or something. Um, uh, a great kind of easy way of describing what I was doing for years. I was like, man, that's way better. He just writes down all the things that they're afraid of. What am I anxious of? What am I afraid of? What's the worst thing that could happen? And then I start crossing out the stuff that like I have no control over. So I write down 10 things, man, I'm worried about the economy, man, like inflation. Oh my God, I'm worried about this. Like what if, what if my employee doesn't turn up today, right? And I just write it all down. And then I break it down into things that I can control and things I can't. So I'm worried about inflation. Okay, well, I can't control that. But is my money in the bank? Yes, cool. And I could go put it in an asset that's going to appreciate more than inflation, or at least at the same rate so that my money's value doesn't decrease. Cool, I can do that. I can go buy a house. I can go buy some gold or whatever. Like I can do something, not, not financial advice. 
And then, uh, and then I look at the next thing, my employee. Well, when was the last time I checked in with my employee, gave them some love, made them feel like they're part of the team, right? Checked in with them about like how they're, how they're doing, how they're feeling. I'm going to go and do that. I'm going to organize a meeting with Dave and just check in with the dude and be like, you feeling the love, man? Like, you know, you're, you're on a mission with me. Because how can I control Dave coming? I can't control if he gets COVID. I can control if Dave feels good or not to an extent, right? But he's got a bad marriage. It's like, I can't, can't help that. But I can make him feel good about his job, right? So you cross out all the shit you can't control and you're left with the stuff you can and then you just go and start ticking boxes. Yeah. Because anxiety is just that, focusing on stuff you can't control. Anxiety has never helped you. Or what? Should I say fear of things never stop them from happening. Fear is an evolutionary thing that made us run away from stuff so that we survived. If we heard of, you know, what are they? You might have heard this before. It's the it's like a superstitious thinking. If a bush a bush rustles in the in the jungle, it could be a tiger, or it could be the wind. All of our ancestors who thought it was the wind eventually got eaten. So all the ones who thought it was a tiger and ran away survived every time because if it was a tiger, they ran away. If it wasn't, well, just go to the next, you know, next berry bush, right? So we've been evolutionary conditioned to be fearful our job is to base that as entrepreneurs and go assess the risk reward and control what we can control um i'm going to bring a dog with me the dog will smell the tiger i'll be safe you know so now if the bush rustles and the dog's not barking i'm all good unless i got a bad dog right you get my point absolutely now speaking of fears what are some of the things that you're focused on with the current climate you know, some of the challenges that we're seeing out in the global economy and, you know, specific sectors of certain markets. What are some of the fears that, you know, you see and hear a lot of people concerned about or, you know, might be present within your own, uh, you know, mindset that uh, you're working on controlling what you can control? Um, the first thing is I don't pay attention to like any of it. Because history shows that since like the beginning of the stock market, if you just put money in, you would be up substantially, right? Is that that's correct, right? Like I'm not a financial guy, but that's correct, right? I'm right. Put money in, it would be up ten. What is it? Ten percent a year every year, even including all the terrible, right? Like they got stats, like eighty percent of bear markets or whatever. Like this happens, like because the world's not going to end. It's just going to change. And the most fear is when you're not adaptable. I'm not afraid of walking outside, you know, because I'm adaptable to my environment. If I'm in a new country, in a new place, I don't understand what animals can kill me, right? Like you guys got like snakes and stuff. We got nothing in New Zealand, man. Um, now I'm going to be like, oh, I'm a bit anxious. What's going to kill me? Can I walk on the grass? You're going to be, I'm going to see kids playing in the bushes. And I'm like, man, aren't they going to get eaten by like snakes or something, get killed? Because I don't understand the landscape. You understand the landscape, so you're cool with your kids playing there. I probably wouldn't be because I don't know what animals are going to kill them, right? So if I'm aware of my surroundings and I'm paying attention enough to be confidently adaptable, then I'm going to be safe because the world's not going to end. It's just going to change. So for me, I'm just not putting, I'm, I'm just making sure I'm not being stupid and having money in things that I shouldn't, you know, like a million dollars in Luna or USD or whatever, and then like disappeared overnight like that. You know, that sucks. But I'm just making sure that I'm paying attention to what I can control. So for me, I was like, I should really know about crypto. So I went and bought a program and I learned some stuff and I put some money in some things. I think I lost five grand in UST or something like that. It was like whatever they called it, anchor protocol or whatever. And I'm like, oh, that sucks. But I think of it as a tax of learning. It cost me five grand to learn that lesson. Yep. Better than a hundred grand, you know? So I'm looking at it and I'm like, I'm gonna learn some stuff. Now I know enough to not buy the next hype coin because I think it's going to go to the moon. I have a laugh with when Elon talks about Doge or whatever, when that starts happening again, right? Like, oh, you know, I like, I, I've got low, I've got high risk tolerance. So I'll, I'll throw a thousand bucks just to be part of the hype train. I did that with, with uh, GameStop and it was fun. But like, I'm paying attention to what resources I have and where those are allocated so that I'm not being dumb and trying to make money on my gambling, right? And so for me, I'm, I'm, I'm in New Zealand, we have more of like a capital gains market and property. So I'm looking at um, how can I hedge against inflation with property? Um, I'm looking at collecting cash because the market's pulling back. So my anxiousness is when can I spend it? Because I don't like having a whole lot of cash. I like to have put it in things, but I know that now's not the right time. So I'm just waiting a little bit because 
a bunch of the mortgages are going to be reassessed and the interest rates have gone up and there's going to be a bunch of deals on the table. So I'm kind of just waiting 18 months maybe and then I'll just go and buy a bunch of stuff. So I'm just looking at the things that I can do, which is keep making money because I solve a big problem for people that are willing to invest in it. My business is built on solid foundations. It's not some, you know, I'm selling widgets on TikTok and it's the latest trend and I'm dancing and I'm trying to, you know, buy this thing, right? (laughs) I've got a solid business. So I'm making sure that I just look after my clients, that I, I continue to evolve in that space and be patient because then there'll be opportunity. Like when COVID happened and the economies went down and the stock market went mental, I was like, this is a sweet time to buy. And I bought a bunch of stuff and you know, it went up a lot. I made a lot of money on Tesla. So I, I, I see there being another opportunity because when you look at history, it tells a story and it shows us that things go down and then they come back up again. And I think that as long as you can have patience and you're looking longer than the next six months, you'll be fine. Because in 10 years, you're going to look back and it's going to happen again. You're like, oh, I've already been through that. Yeah. 2008, I was like, how old was I? I was like 15 or something. I don't know how old it was, something like that. And, um, and I had no idea what was going on. I just lived my life. My kids don't know. He's just, you know, watching bananas and pajamas, kids TV show. He doesn't care. Why is he not freaking out? Because he's not watching the news, man. That's why he's not freaking out. Yeah. And he's just doing his business. So So critical to be careful who you allow into manipulating your mind because our minds are in a good and a bad way, you know, weaponized for, for good. And, uh, and obviously for the alternatives. So I think, you know, being very, as you've said, the key word here, I talk about it all the time. It's, it's self-awareness, right? You know, it's, it's nobody's perfect. You know, you're not always going to be in a hot streak and, you know, crushing it. And you're not always going to be in the dumps, you know, nothing is permanent. It's just knowing when you are crushing it, doing more of what got you there. And when you're off track or you're not crushing it, right? Course correcting, readjusting, tweaking, optimizing. And the only way you're going to be able to do that is through that enhanced, you know, self-awareness, right? Those tools, those practices, you know, those rhythms. I know you're a big rhythm guy and 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 creating some of those spaces for awareness to do that work, to make those course corrections, to double down on those things. You know, what are some of the things around your parenting and your, you know, husband game that you consistently have worked into rhythms and practices that really allow you to have such a thriving one business, but two, keep things on the home front, you know, from falling apart. I see so many people sacrifice their families and the things they say they're doing what they're doing for in the first place um, along the way. And so, you know, how do you ensure that those priorities stay the priorities and are consistently being, you know, maintained and, and are thriving? Um, I was talking to, I think it was Kyle Wilson on my podcast. And we talked about this, this concept because I'm looking at traveling with the family and, you know, and, and it's now that I'm not attached to any particular place and I can, you know, be anywhere. And we talked about with parenting, like, you know, how, how do you know if it's going to be the right thing some people say you should be in one area and your kids can make friends and all of that. And then, but then, you know, if I've got a 15 year old who's traveled the world, like, is he going to be more aware of things and have opportunities and speak languages and, you know, what's that going to provide? And, and he said, you're never going to get it right for, for everybody. So just do your best. And, and what, what I love with that, you know, I'm paraphrasing is like one kid in this okay, and I'll circle back around to your question. One kid will, thrive staying home and making friends one kid might thrive traveling overseas and doing that so what do you do you just do the one that makes the most sense to the parents because ultimately if you if you and your partner are not good it's going to affect your kids if you and your kid are good but you and your partner suck your kid's not going to be good right they have no stability they're not modeling anything positive so if it makes it for, for, for me for example is, is having self-awareness to know what do i need not selfishly but the truth like if you need to play golf once a week and you don't because you're with your family all the time eventually you're probably not going to be a very good partner or a very good you know husband or or father or whatever 
because you're never serving you. And now you're this martyr. I see it a lot um, with mums, especially um, with their kids, like just being a martyr to it. And, the, and I said this to my wife, it was like, babe, you also need to like, she was, when we had a nanny early on and we needed to, she, we wanted to go on, I said, we need to go on a date. And she said, yeah, but the kids haven't seen us for a while. I said, yes, but if we don't invest in us, then the kids will have nothing. Because let's be honest, you keep not investing in your relationship. You're either going to be really unhappy and really dysfunctional or you'll get divorced. Neither of which are pretty good for kids. Uh, divorce being arguably worse, but like, you know, you're not going to be good, very good for kids. So let's take that sacrifice and that situation with the kids, invest in us, knowing that it's, that'll allow our, us to show up better with the kids. And it's an investment. Do I work now and make money? Or do I put it into an investment and be rich later? You know, it's a balance. I want to live my life, but I also want to live my life better in the future. So you have to hedge against like having, having a good time now and, and having a good time in the future. And it just depends on what you want. But I think for me, it's like having self-awareness to know what I need. Because one of the things for me is I need to work. Like it's like going to the gym. I get itchy if I haven't worked. The weekends are the hardest time for me. Not because I don't love my family, but because I want to get back to work on Monday because I, I live it. But then having a balance and understanding that um, if I'm only serving me, I'm not serving my family as well. And they need me too, with my wife being priority uh, and then my kids. So I look at it as look after my health and my mindset first and having self-awareness around what's needed to do that unselfishly. Right. Like don't just be like, oh, I need to play golf every day. It's like, no, maybe yeah. you don't need to do golf every day. Yeah. But I still need to play golf. Right. Like we're going to, on a trip to Queenstown where they filmed Lord of the Rings and it's beautiful there. And I need to go mountain biking. Like that's going to happen. I said, babe, I'm going mountain biking because I need that. And she will need a day to do what she wants to do. And so we're going to trade those days, you know? So knowing that about myself first, then the relationship, because if that's not good, I'm not going to be good. I can't show up at work well. I can't be with my kids well. And then down to making sure I'm um, with the kids and then everything else comes after that, you know, um, and knowing that hierarchy for yourself so that you can f- feed and water the plants properly. You know, I'm not a gardener, but like certain plants, you can't dump a bunch of water on them. You got to do something different. So you got to know your own, you know, your own water with that. Yeah. Make sure it works. And there's always going to be sacrifices, but you got to choose which ones you're willing to make and which you aren't and then find balance in that. Otherwise yeah. you'll become resilient. It won't work. I call it that strategic selfishness. You know, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. you got to know when to be selfish. Not all the time, like you said, right? But, but strategically know when you, when your cup is depleted and you got, you got nothing to pour into anybody else, you're not going to serve anyone. You, you have to understand and through that awareness, know when it's time to replenish your own cup. And when you're overflowing, your work gets the best of you, your clients gets the best of you, your wife or your husband, your kids, your friends, your health, everything gets the best of you. And that's that's when you know you're you're weaponized and you're dangerous and you're in a great spot. But if you're if you're not giving yourself what you need, everything else isn't going to get anywhere close to the best of you. So I always think that's important. And I love when most people, you know, some people say, oh, that person's selfish. Again, I think there's balance in that, right? You just because you're not giving everything to everyone the way that they think it should be given, that doesn't mean that uh, you're selfish. And, and that's also, I think, the around... Things crashing. Am I selfish because I put the mask on myself? Yeah. Sure I don't yeah. die so that I can make sure my kids live? Yep. Am I selfish because I save myself first? No, I'm, I'm smart. I'd be yep. stupid to try and save my kids first. Because yep. if I've got more than one... Well, first of all, if, let's say I have one kid. I save him. Cool. And then I die. He doesn't have a dad. Cool. I, I got two kids. I only, only save one of them. Who do I prioritize? So what do I do? Mask on me. Now I can save both kids or resuscitate one of them. Like it's just, it's just smart. And I think that people, I think personally, if, if someone's willing to do that and you're genuinely not being selfish like that, or you, or you, or you consider it to be selfish for working on yourself, I think it's selfish to not because you, you cannot keep going if your cup is not full. No doubt. And you will just not be the best husband, the best mom, the best anything. Yep. You know what I mean? You can't fill it up with other people. You've got to make sure yours is full to overflow to others. And I think those of us who, who get it tend to have better experiences across the board mm. in life because we mm-hmm. understand the game, which is to keep your cup full so that it can overflow into others because then there's excess. Otherwise, you're just sharing empty cups, man. Have you ever seen people try and do that? Like, it doesn't work. <laughs> that ain't going to go nowhere. So as we wrap up, I want to get kind of your your 
kind of final outlook. You know, everybody's got a different definition of wealth, right? They're they're all solving for something different, what it means to them. And I'm curious, you know, what you're solving for in this next season and stage of your life in terms of wealth building and, and you know, living that rich and fulfilling life for yourself and um, you know, how you uh, intend to go and get that over uh, the course of the next few years. Um, I want choices. I want to have more and more choices. And, and the, what sums this up for me was I flew to, to Europe. First of all, that was a win. But then we came back and um, we went business class. And I was like, man, I'm never flying economy ever again. And so that instead of thinking that was nice, you know, I flew business class once, I said, how do I fly business class every single time? And that became a new benchmark and a new floor in my building. Like I'm never flying economy. So when I think about going overseas, I'm not thinking, oh, it's nice. And, you know, it's going to be only this much money. I'm like business class. And I'm like, oh, it's a bit expensive. Well, this is, okay, that's a lot of money. And someone else will say to me, James, go economy. And I'm like, no, no. I don't fly economy class. Now, that might sound arrogant or whatever, but the reason I did it is because it helps me to stay at a higher level of operation. Because if I have to do that, then I have to operate at a higher level so I can, so I can do that. And I would hate to never have the ability to make that choice. Now, for me, where that goes to is like, if I want choices. There is stuff that I've never experienced and never done and people that I don't know that... If I have more wealth, if I have more choices because of that wealth, there's more things I can do. I want to arbitrarily you know, fly to space. Can't do that if I'm broke, right? I might get to a point where I can afford to do it and don't want to do it, but I want to have the choice. And so for me, it's like, I want to have choice and I, and I want to have, there's, a, there's an element of balancing this contentment. And I think entrepreneurs, we struggle with this and this is like contentment of what I've got and it's good enough and I'm grateful, but still being hungry to keep going. And balancing that for me, that things are really good, but I also enjoy this. And like a video game, I just want to accumulate for the sake of accumulating because it creates options and choices. And I don't know what might appear as an option to me in the future. I saw a thing on Facebook, it was like an ad for like floating in this balloon and going up to space. And I saw all the comments and obviously it was just like cancer in the comments, right? $50,000, that's ridiculous. And I looked at it and I was like, man, 50 grand for a seat to do that? That's once in a lifetime. I need, I need to make sure I can do that. And I realized that for me, it was like balancing contentment and choices. And when things appear, I want to be able to go and splash 50 grand on a seat to you know, go to outer space. Because why not? I only live once. And so that's my game at the moment is, is balancing like things are good. But man, I want more choices. And, and with wealth comes choices, you know. Beautiful, brother. Well, I know a lot of people are going to want to connect with you. They probably want to check out what your podcast is all about. Where's the best place for them to do that? Uh, if you go to practice owner, dot com uh, on there is a link to all the stuff that that I do and, and if you're a health professional there'll be a ton of resources there to help you uh, to grow your business if you uh, just look me up online James Nielsen what I'm on uh, all platforms and you can see what I'm up to um, my podcast is linked on my website as well it's just the James Nielsen Watch Show so I appreciate you for for bringing me on brother and uh, I had a lot of fun dude it's always fun having conversations with you I love the way you just show up for people I love the way you think I love the way you. Uh... You know, bring people into your mind and ultimately just get people expanding and thinking and challenging themselves, which uh, every time you and I get a chance to connect, that's definitely something that I can say is accomplished at the end of our conversation. And um, we'll be sure to link up all of the resources, links, websites, names, all that good stuff in the show notes at millionermindcast.com on James's episode. Brother, cheers, man. Well, that wraps up this week's episode. Hopefully you guys enjoyed that interview. And if you did, all I ask is that you share it with somebody else who maybe needs to hear this today or that could gain some value from something that was talked about or discussed in today's interview. You just never know one piece of information, a conversation, a tool, a resource can completely transform and change the trajectory of someone's life or their business. So if you get any kind of value or you want to support the show, all we ask is that you help us organically get this in front of more people. Also, for those of you who are really looking to accelerate your wealth building journey and unlock more financial freedom, get more time back and just level up your life, your business, your finances, be sure to head over to therichlifeacademy.com to check out all the amazing products and resources that we offer to our Millionaire Mindcast family, whether that's one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, courses from our guests, all kinds of free content, downloads, checklists, upcoming event info on how you can connect with us live, in person, all kinds of great valuable tools. You can get that over at therichlifeacademy.com. Last but not least, I always wanna know, who do you guys wanna hear me interview next? Let me know. Shoot me a text at 
447-1555. With that being said, until next time, keep investing in yourself and your wealth on your March 2 million and beyond. Cheers, my friend. <laughs>